my gaze back to the window, this time into an apartment across the way. A couple was standing there arguing. The woman gesticulated with her hands above her head, held like claws, while he had loose fists up at chest level like a boxer reflexively defending himself, looking for an opening. I've got to get out of here, I said, not necessarily to Sela. Daddy! I was telling you about Herd. I'll call you at the dorms tomorrow. Talk to you then, honey. I was on the street before I realized that I hadn't kissed her goodbye. I never liked kissing all that much. Didn't see what people got out of it, really. Mona complained that I wasn't romantic enough when we made love. She pulled away emotionally, but I wasn't terribly bothered. I sometimes grumbled when we hadn't had sex in more than two weeks. But then I started seeing Svetlana two or three days a week, and things were better. At least for me. At least when I was sitting there quietly in Svetlana's west side studio, after having made love, with the sun shining in, and her reading Russian newspapers and smoking European cigarettes. It felt like I was safe then. I seemed always to be looking for a cubbyhole or corner to sit in, a place I could be quiet and unnoticed. All I had to do was pay the rent and keep a tab open at the supermarket in Svetlana's name, and she was mine. There was never any evidence of any other man in the house. When I called, she usually made time to talk, even if there was an exam coming up or she had a paper due. She said she liked me because I didn't abuse her. She never worried about me hitting her. When her mother was dying, I bought her round-trip tickets and gave her enough money to keep afloat in Kiev for a month. After she came back, I told Mona I was going to a convention in Atlantic City so that I could spend two days at Svetlana's. I thought that she'd want to talk, but she didn't. We made love, had sex once every four waking hours for two days. And then she got restless. Or maybe it just seemed that way to me. She'd pick up a paper and then put it down, light a cigarette and put it out almost immediately, then go to the window, searching 8th Avenue with her brooding gaze. Do you need me to leave, Lana? I asked her. No, she said shaking her tousled blonde hair. Why? Svetlana was twenty-one, already in graduate school studying international relations at CUNY. Her figure was slight, almost boyish. Her hands were powerful, though. She could hurt me with her grip. I like that. Sometimes, when we were having sex and I couldn't come to orgasm, Lana would grab the back of my neck with her left hand and squeeze until the pain went down into my shoulders. While she did this, she'd smile like a naughty child doing something that she was bound to get away with. Whenever she did this, I had intense orgasms, like none that I remembered. Once I even passed out, something I hadn't done since my drinking days in the late seventies and before. Sometimes I'd tell Lana, squeeze my neck, baby, but she wouldn't obey. It has to be my choice, Win, she'd tell me, otherwise it wouldn't work anymore.
I knew that she was very smart, that she would move on once she had her degree and started working in international finance or diplomacy. But I didn't care. I didn't care about much. This lack of sentiment didn't bother me unless Mona or Sela would complain. But then the void in the hollow of my shoulders would take over, and I'd watch an old movie or go see Svetlana. Sometimes I'd just go to work or to bed. It was all the same to me. I was lucky in that way. Mona had a favorite coffee shop on 14th Street near 5th Avenue. She usually went there on Fridays. To decompress after a week of bullshit, she'd say. It was called Augie's, and they made a French roast coffee so strong that I had to cut it with an equal portion of steamed milk. But Mona loved the bitter brew and the tough Irish...